welcome to episode 157 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, The Objects to Observe in the October 2021 Night Sky. I am Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky, and this podcast is anyone else that likes going under the stars. How are things looking for your October observing Shane? Looking good. Uh, we we got an email from Eric again. Um, Eric is from Calgary, so he's uh, about what is that? I don't know, seven hundred kilometers away from us. Something like and, that. And uh, sort of in the middle is uh, you know Grasslands National Park. It might might be a little bit further for Eric, but um, we're we're loosely talking about meeting up there for uh, Canadian Thanksgiving and doing some observing. So. Um, I don't know about you, Chris, but if the weather is good, um, I think I'm, I'm going to make the trip. Um, good. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking about running down for a night or two, depending on, on how cold it's, uh, it's going to get kind of, kind of depends on that at, at this time of year and the mm-hmm. weather is, is a bit variable, but, uh, yeah, if I can do it and it looks like we're going to the skies, I'll go. Um, if not, I will be eating turkey at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. That's, that's pretty exciting. So, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was up this morning and I was looking at Orion. The moon was up, but Orion was, uh, was there and the moon is, is still pretty bright, especially from a dark site. You know, it's a week, almost a week past, uh, full, I guess it's about six days past full. And, uh, yeah, but from out here, it's dark enough that, uh, basically everything is, is lit up. It looks almost like, uh, like daytime here, but with that much, uh, three quarters moon even. Um, but you could see the Orion Nebula, like naked eye, like just barely and the sort of Orion and, you know, probably getting down to maybe like fifth magnitude right now. But, uh, I didn't bother observing because yeah, I was having trouble sleeping and, uh, with that moon up, I, I just didn't, didn't feel like going up and like super waking up to, to observe, um, you know, when, when I probably need, need to get a little bit of sleep for, for the week I have ahead, but, uh, looks like we've got some, some good stuff coming up in October. Yeah. Yeah, we do. It's, uh, I think it's going to be a good month and, um, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about comets probably towards the end, but we're, there's going to be a comet watch starting here, uh, as we get into the winter season and, mm. uh, kind of excited for that too. Yeah. So in, in our, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, outline that we put out every year. We did it last year. So I'm going to say every year now we've done it every year. We've been doing the podcast. <laughs> um, we, we talked about, uh, the best event probably being Mercury is going to make its best morning, uh, apparition for the Northern hemisphere and, uh, Venus, um, will be good, uh, in the evening for, for Southern hemisphere observers. It's Venus is pretty low. Like I've been watching it. But it's too low, I think, to observe uh, uh, well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It uh, it's it's too low, and, and the atmosphere will kind of mess things up. And if you have any hope of seeing some of the cloud detail on Venus, um, you need it as high in the sky as possible, and in pretty good conditions in order to to see any of that. Yeah, and Jupiter um, is going to have some double shadow transits. And those can be fun to watch uh, through small telescopes. I know you've seen quite a few of those as have I. Those are, those are pretty fun to try to observe. Yeah, yeah, those are wonderful. And those um, those can be a bit of a test of the seeing as well. Um, and, a, you know, a night with good seeing conditions, the 
the shadow that those uh, little Galilean moons cast is just like a real sharp, like blot of ink. It's pretty cool mm. to see. And uh, it, you know, I've said it many times. I just like watching solar system movement. I think it's really cool to see that and, and to watch, you know, that black shadow dot kind of, you know, move across uh, Jupiter over the period of the evening is, is a lot of fun. Yeah. And Saturn, Jupiter, Venus, uh, Uranus and Neptune are all going to, I think all going to pair with the moon at some point uh, during the month and be well-placed. And uh, also like all those, you know, gas giants and ice giants are, uh, they're going to be well, uh, well visible sort of last uh, chance to get some good views of, of Saturn and Jupiter uh, while they're high up and then uh, good opportunities to find Uranus and Neptune. I think they're going to be uh, well-placed for uh, telescopic observations. So good, good chance to hunt those down. Right on. So October 1st, um, you know, coming up, you reminded me and I was like, whoa, that's right. The first <laughs> Friday, we've got to put out this, this episode. I nearly forgot, but we have, we have all the notes for these. Um, we, we create all the notes for the stuff to observe in the run of the year um, ahead of time. And I'll be doing that again here over the next uh, few months um, around Christmas. I'll, uh, I'll take my Christmas break and, uh, and produce this as well. Uh, my plan there is to uh, is to actually produce much of the work for the observer's calendar during uh, mm. during that period of time. And I know that there there was discussion on having a meeting about the observer's calendar. I know some people think it should be electronic. Uh, maybe we should have an electronic version, and then others were were adamant to to continue selling the physical calendars. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty open to uh, to whatever people. Um, you know, have, have for suggestions. I think there's some interesting opportunities there. I think the one thing though, is that we uh, were a bit slow with the observer's calendar every year from, and this is the calendar I'm, I'm going to be editor of with the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, but it, it can be a little bit slow to, uh, to hit the newsstands and to hit the uh, online marketplaces. Like I think it's sold at Sky and Telescope and a bunch of other online uh, retailers, but uh one of the challenges we have is um, combining uh, some of the stuff that's in the observer's handbook. So we have the observer's handbook and it gets put out every autumn. And I'm also a contributing editor for that or contributor, contributing writer. I'm, I'm not really an editor. I'm not an editor at all for that. I just, just write a couple sections. Um, but that uh, book contains some, uh, some of the same information. And we, we have to wait on that information to put in that book. But we're also waiting for that information to go into the calendar as well. And uh, my thinking is that we actually just leave the information that's well suited for for the handbook in the handbook, and then maybe we we put other information in the uh, in the calendar so that we can actually uh, get it out uh, a little bit sooner. So that, that, that's my plan. That's my other plan for the fall. <laughs> Sounds uh, well. I'm excited to see the output. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. But October 1st, we have the uh, zodiacal light. It becomes visible in the eastern morning sky once the, uh, once the moon leaves the scene here over the, over the next week or so. And uh, what the zodiacal light is, it's kind of it's interesting. Actually, uh, Dave Chapman was on uh, a couple months ago talking about this. It's, uh, it's some interplanetary or maybe planetary dust now is a good way to describe it, uh, being that, uh, that some of this material seems to be, or maybe much of it seems to be coming from Mars. Um, and it's visible during uh, autumn um, mornings uh, in that eastern sky. It kind of looks like a pyramid. It sort of doesn't really look like Milky Way, but it doesn't really quite look like light pollution. It's sort of like this faint, uh, 
green pillar of light uh, that you can see in the plane uh, of the solar system, kind of in that path of the planets in the ecliptic, um, you know, where, where the planets uh, tend to hang out. So um, I can't remember. I, I can't remember if I've seen it in the morning sky as much. I've seen an evening sky in the spring quite a bit. Have you ever seen it in the morning sky? Ooh, no, I don't think so. Um, and part of that is just, I rarely observe, uh, at that time of the day. So I'm usually sleeping. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, definitely seen it quite a few times in the evening. Um, but you know, just as you're mentioning this, I was thinking it's, it's been a while since I've even seen it in the evening. So I, I might make a, an attempt to observe it this fall. Yeah. I, I haven't, I can't recall. I, I, I feel like I haven't seen it either in the morning and but I do get up and observe in the morning quite a bit. Um, but usually I'm tired or, or I'm pretty focused on whatever I'm going after, whether it's I'm going out to the dark site and doing some deep sky observing or, or doing some planetary observing or whatever. So usually I'm pretty focused. And, and if it's planets, sometimes I'm getting up just as the sky is brightening anyway. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna notice something like the, uh, like the zodiacal light or I'm in the city. Often I'm in the city doing my early morning observations and uh and then that's that's not going to work well for for seeing this uh october 6th though coming up uh boy it's just like that's just like the week that's just like the week after this week that's just like next week yeah it's really really close yeah so that's new moon and uh of course that's uh you know, around that time is going to be the best time to, uh, to start deep sky observing again. Actually, I, and I, I've run this, uh, it looks like Tuesday night and it's going to be really hot here Tuesday. So I don't know what our scene or other conditions would be like, but, um, Tuesday is, is when we get pretty much like a couple hours of dark sky, um, which make it worthwhile to kind of go out and try some, some dark sky, uh, observing if one wants to travel to, to a dark sky site. You know, I remember, uh, one of our observers handbook editors, uh, Rajiv Gupta, a number of years ago, this is a long time ago, actually, um, he was the editor of, of the Observer's Handbook when, when I became an RESC member. When I became a full member, I was attending events for years, but then I eventually became a member of the organization. And that's our big astronomy organization in Canada. And um, he was doing a talk at the, uh, at the Halifax Centre where I was a member. And he talked, he had this rule that you have to get more observing in than you spend driving. Otherwise, it feels like a lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I like that. I like that rule. I thought that was a pretty smart rule. So, so if you're gonna, if you're gonna spend, you know, um, a couple hours driving, then you got to spend a couple hours, uh, observing. So that's why I always think it's, it's important. Like if the site is like around 45 minutes or so, um, anyway, it's gotta be under, it's gotta be under an hour because, um, oftentimes your sessions will be by the time you set up and observe, it sometimes it can be hard to do more than a couple hours in a night. So, um, you know, here I am right now recording this. We're about, uh, I'm about 45 minutes from home. And uh, I like to think that if I'm setting up and observing, I'm usually not going to do much less than about an hour and a half. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to find a place sort of with, within that range from the city. And plus, once you get more than about 45 minutes from the city, here where we live, it is pretty damn dark. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, you know, we're fortunate in that regard. Um, our, our province is quite large, but the uh, density of population is, is not. And, and a lot of the people live in two cities. So uh, when you get not too far out of our city, you're really in a lot of rural area and uh, there's, you know, we're, again, we're fortunate. We have a lot of access to uh, some close dark skies. Yep. 
Uh, October 9th, uh, Venus and the Moon. That's our first pairing for the month. So, so it's going to be a great month because we've got dark skies. It starts out um, pretty much by the first, we get a lot of dark skies. So you can, you can observe three or four hours. And even once the moon rises, there's, there's not much moon by the first. And then on the ninth, we just have a thin sliver. And, um, and that's going to pair with, uh, with Venus. And it's, uh, it's in sort of that, uh, uh, the, one of those front claws of Scorpius, uh, sort of the, the, the remainder claw. There was a, there used to be two claws and one of them turned into Libra, I think. But anyway, um, Venus and the moon are going to be right in that area of the sky and are going to make uh, a beautiful pair in a really small, low-power, wide-field telescopes like you and I have or a pair of binoculars. Uh, any pair of binoculars pretty much will be able to uh, grab Venus and the moon together because they're only going to be three degrees apart. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, I look forward. I look forward to seeing uh, that one. I'm just trying to see what day of the week that was, but uh, I'm not able to to figure that out as fast as I need to to make it to make it uh, sensical in the podcast. All right. <laughs> so uh, October 12th, Jupiter is going to have some uh, some shadow transits of uh, Ganymede and Io, and uh, it's going to be visible. Uh, this time from North America, it's going to be in progress at sunset for us, Shane, but we can actually see this one. I think we had a pile earlier in the year, but unfortunately when they were happening, um, they weren't really visible for us, were they? I think I recall that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. So, um, hopefully we have some clear skies. Um, you know, the, the other nice thing about these, uh, uh, shadow transits is you don't need the dark sky. Like these, this is, you know, something you can do from the backyard and it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty neat thing to see and it's easily accessible. Yeah. Cause I think by the 12th, we're getting uh, close to first quarter. In fact, the first quarter is going to be on the 13th. So as, as we get the moon in the sky, it's either going to be pairing with planets or there's going to be cool stuff going on with the planets. And uh, most of the planets are visible. So it's uh, it's going to be a really great month for, for doing astronomy uh, my astronomy course, actually, the, the course that I teach, uh, kicks up on this Wednesday, and it's going to run for for eight weeks. So, um, unfortunately, I think our COVID cases are are too high here right now. I think uh, probably can't be be getting people together for for doing sessions, which I'd hope to, um, but uh, should be able to point people to to lots of uh, lots of interesting stuff. So, first quarter moon on, on the thirteenth, and then. Uh, over the next couple nights, um, as that moon gets really too bright to to do any deep sky observing, it's going to be more difficult to observe uh, galaxies and nebula and clusters. But on the 14th and 15th, it's going to pair with Saturn and then Jupiter, uh, and it's going to be about four degrees um, from them from from some areas. Although from here, I think I think it's a little bit further than four degrees. Looks like it's closer to like six degrees. Um, for each of those those planet uh, Jupiter and, and Saturn moon pairing, so seven degrees that that's possible in uh, in a pair of uh, pretty wide field low power binoculars. And oh yeah, yeah, um, quite a few will will reach that. Um, uh, even I, I have some older Russian seven by fifties that provide a seven degree field. I think that that's quite common. Hmm. Yeah, so that that should be possible. Just it's and it's neat to see the planets. Um, when they pair up with the moon uh, like that uh, in the in the evening sky should be uh, should be pretty cool. And this this sort of dance between Jupiter, Saturn, and the moon have been 
have been kind of playing out here for, for the past, uh, really almost like the past couple of years now, because uh, Jupiter and Saturn just have been uh, close to each other in the sky. In fact, we had that great super conjunction or whatever it was called back uh, last December, but they still remain um, sort of in, in more or less the same constellation, sort of like in uh, Capricornus and Aquarius, uh, but they're only, they're only still about maybe 25 or 30 degrees apart or something like that. Um, so they're not in the same field of view in, in any optics, but, uh, but once one comes up, uh, well, typically once one is up and good enough to observe, the other one's going to be up too, but they're, they're gradually moving further and further apart. But every month we seem to be getting these, these nights back to back where the moon pairs up with, uh, with one and then the other. So it's sort of been kind of a neat thing to see, and we're going to get that for a few more months and then, um, then, then they'll, they'll get far enough apart that, uh, these will be nights and nights apart at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So the 18th, we have another set of uh, transits going on, on on Jupiter. Can see those black disks. So what is uh, a shadow transit on Jupiter? This time it's gaining in Io and visible again here and very similar to the event on the 12th. But what is a shadow transit on Jupiter, Shane? Well, so a tra- like there's there's a number of different transits that we would potentially talk about um, as uh, things to observe. And basically what a transit means is you will get to witness uh, something in the solar system typically pass another object. And, um, you know, the one of the more famous ones, I think, was probably the transit of Venus. And, and what that was, was uh, Venus moved across the face of the sun that was observable from Earth. And that's a pretty rare event. It only happens twice every 111 years. Um, now, uh, transits, shadow transits on Jupiter are just the four Galilean moons can be any number of them. Uh, what, what is happening is they cast their shadow on the disk of the moon or sorry, on the disk of Jupiter. And then you can watch that uh, shadow transit across uh, the face of Jupiter. Now, these happen all the time. These are not nearly as rare as uh, uh, when Venus would transit the sun. But, um, you know, I think that there's at least a couple of these opportunities every month that we talk about um, when Jupiter is in the sky and observable where you can see uh, this phenomenon. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, you know, one thing when we are talking about uh, night sky events is if it is something that's that's rare, um, we're going to really highlight that. Otherwise, if we're just talking about it, um, it's it's probably a neat thing to see, something fun to see, uh, usually in these uh, stuff to observe in the night sky episodes. Uh, most of the stuff is going to be reasonably doable in uh, either naked eye, binoculars, or small telescopes. Um, but, but most of the stuff isn't, isn't that rare in this, uh, unless we highlight it, um, such as the October 20th full moon is not a rare event. It's just, <laughs> it's just a bright moon. It's just a bright moon. Um, and we say that because it seems like more and more they're, they're making, uh, uh a big do about, um, these super moons and, and different things like that. And, and honestly, I don't know if I could see those super moons or, or not, as far as any difference, uh, goes. I, I I sketched the moon one year. Naked Eye sketched all the full moons. A friend of mine sketched it um, in Ontario. I was out here, and uh, yeah, we. I don't think we definitively could say whether or not we could detect if it was brighter because the actual brightness and how much brighter it it, it can be um, is more dependent on your atmospheric clarity. So nights that are a little bit um, more humid and maybe have some slight haze the moon is going to appear um, less bright 
And then if it's super clear, it's going to appear, um, you know, much, much brighter. So yeah, anyway, so that's, uh, that's kind of the full moon business, but on the, uh, on the 21st, uh, there's the Orion, Orion and meteor shower, but, uh, of course that, that full moon having been just the night before is going to probably blot out most of those meteors, but it's actually worth observing that night, uh, not the Orion meteor shower. It's worth going out to observe on October 21st because that, uh, that just past full moon is going to be only 1.3 degrees south of Uranus for some observers. I think for us, it's, it's about two and a half or three degrees away. Um, but uh, Uranus is, uh, is, is the what seventh planet out. Um, it's not that bright. It hangs out around five and a half or sixth magnitude. So you need a pair of binoculars to see it. Um, but with the moon so close to it, uh, it gives you a really good opportunity to hunt down uh, Uranus without having to, uh, to use like your software or, or look up some star charts on the internet or anything like that. You can just sort of put October 21st on your calendar uh, go out that night, find the moon, and then uh, just above and to the right or to the uh, to the northwest um, is going to be Venus. And, and like I said, for some people, it's going to be really close. For us, it'll be a few degrees away, but uh, you'd be able to see that uh, in in your binoculars without really needing much in the way of star charts or anything, because because about a sixth magnitude star, five and a half magnitude star, isn't really uh, that faint. You will need binoculars to see it, um, but it should be possible to. Uh, to pinpoint uh, Uranus on on that night, whether whether you use binoculars or you could hunt it down and then uh, then observe it in a in a telescope, which is a lot of fun too. Yeah, and you know if you have um, uh, especially like a, a little bit more aperture, like uh, like Phil's new eight inch Dobsonian uh, mm. will really show your Uranus quite nicely, and and you you potentially uh, could see some of the color there. Um, it, it's a, you're not going to really see any surface detail. The The goal really is to resolve it as a, a disc and not a star. Um, and, you know, again, if, if you can, you might be able to tease some color out of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, good, good point. A lot of people have uh, eight inch reflectors. That's uh, pretty common um, astronomical uh, equipment amongst amateur astronomers. Um, some people listening to this, they can look up what a, uh, what an eight inch Dobsonian is. And that is pretty much one of our top recommendations for people getting going because they're really good, uh, relatively inexpensive and, uh, and, and easy to use. And so those are kind of the three things you want to, you want to tick when you're getting into amateur astronomy. And I think that, uh, and, and as well, even though I think Phil's been doing this for, for a couple of years now or whatever, um, you know, he's, he's kind of uh, bought this telescope and I, I think it's, it's a good choice uh, for just about anybody um, to have regardless of your other gear. I think an eight inch Dobsonian is, is sort of, uh, uh really the, one of the workhorses of amateur astronomy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful telescope. So then on the 25th, we have uh, mercury at greatest elongation West. That means it's visible in the morning sky. I always say it because you see greatest elongation West and you think, Oh, the West, if something's in the West, like a planet is in the West, you're looking at it in the evening sky. But greatest elongation west just means, um, you know, which side of uh, of the sun it's on. But that means it's going to be visible in the morning sky. So I say basically October 25th, that's where Mercury is going to be uh, best visible in the morning sky or around that date, sort of for a few days around. But Mercury stays pretty close to the horizon. And that's about the best view we're going to have of it. I think it's about 10 or 12 degrees up for us. 
Um, so that's still pretty close to the horizon. Your fist at arm's length is about 10 degrees. And, and if you hold that out, um, you know, and you, you sort of, uh, you know, take a look at your horizon, like the true horizon out from, from flat, a lot of the time you're going to have houses, trees, or other stuff in the way. So you might have to find a pretty good horizon somewhere to try to hunt it down on, uh, on the 25th. But as, uh, as a Mercury observer, <laughs> I will be trying to, I try to observe, um, all of these and, uh, yeah, I, I'll definitely be, be set up and trying to, to make the observations on that, that week of the, the 25th. Usually I get, uh, one night where I know where it is and I can't see it one night where I can see it or one morning where I can see it. And then usually I get one out of three of the, of the, the mornings uh, where I can be good observation. On the 26th, we have another set of uh, shadow transits on Jupiter. This one is not easily visible from North America, though, so people will uh, will be able to see it from other parts of the world. I did put in where it is visible, so if you are somewhere else, um, this one is going to be for you. So we do have listeners um, in in Japan and, and and England and some other countries. And uh, so so look that one up. That one might be for you folks. I think in the in the past set. Other areas were were favored. Um, this this time, we seem to have uh, more favorable shadow transits for North America. Uh, October twentieth is the last quarter moon, and on the twenty ninth, we have Venus at greatest elongation east. So that means it's visible in the evening sky in the west, and uh, it's not well placed here. It's really good for the southern hemisphere, but not well placed here. And that's sort of it for. Uh, for our planet and uh, and and moon pairings and sort of a little bit of amateur astronomy mixed in. I don't know if you have anything else to to add for the uh, October set of those objects before we move on to comets. Yeah, I think let's move on to comets. There's uh, there's a couple of exciting ones to talk about. Yeah, yeah, go for it. You you know more about these ones than I do. I think. Well, well, one of them I've been sort of tracking, but uh, the first one is uh, 8P Tuttle, um, and it's uh, it's going to be eighth magnitude, um, and it looks like probably about eighth magnitude for the whole month. Yeah. Um, I don't see that on um, uh, Yoshida's chart here. Um, it was, yeah, it was listed in his uh, weekly information on bright comets. And if you go and under there and then click it, it's actually cutting uh, through, let's see, which constellation is it cutting through in September? It's going to be way over in Hydra. So that's going to be, um, you know, fairly difficult to, to see. Probably the uh, Southern Hemisphere is going to be favored uh, for that one, for sure, because it, it's going to be probably getting pretty low on our on our horizon in the morning sky at that time of year. If it was in Hydra and it was in the spring, of course, we'd be able to see it. But uh, but right now, yeah, it's going to be like a morning sky object, I think, uh, if, if you're further south than we are. Right, right. Um, at eighth magnitude, though, like that's, uh, that's becoming a binocular uh, target. Target, so some potential there, uh, which is kind of exciting. Um, but the one that I referenced at the start of the podcast um, is Comet. Uh, it's C2021A1 Leonard. Um, this one is uh, kind of captured or, or had the in, or has the interest of the amateur astronomy committee, uh, community um, since uh, early on in the year here. Um, so this comet 
is right now. So again, we always say this with comets, the uh, magnitude estimates are best guesses and there's a lot of variability in how bright these comets get. And sometimes they get, you know, as bright as predicted, sometimes brighter and sometimes nowhere near uh, as bright. Um, but this comet uh, A1 Leonard is expected to hit magnitude four by December and uh, I think stay in, you know, quite bright for the month and magnitude four, you know, that's a naked eye comet, which is extreme. I shouldn't say extremely rare, but they don't happen that often. Um, you know, we just had Neowise uh, last year or the, was it last year or the year before yeah. now? Last year. Yeah. 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 That one became a naked eye comet. It was beautiful. It was unexpected. Um, and it was really fun to observe. So um, really starting kind of in October, Leonard is going to start brightening. And um, I think in October, it's still going to be pretty dim. Um, actually, no, it's going to, it looks like it's going to hit magnitude 11 in October. So, you know, that's, uh, that's telescopic range. Um, so really just, just starting to mention it now, we'll talk about it more in November and, and certainly in December. Um, but the neat thing with some of these comets um, is to try to observe them as they get brighter and brighter and brighter yeah. and, you know, just record your observations as to, um, you know, more detail that you're able to see, you know, like, uh, you know, how, uh, how dense is the nucleus? Are, are you able to see any uh, aspect of a tail? Um, right now, you know, probably my guess would be visually observing A1 Leonard um, uh, it's probably going to look like an out of focus star or like a little bit of a fuzzy point. You're likely not going to see a heck of a lot of detail, but you know, again, you just never know. So it would be an interesting thing to observe, uh, through October. And Chris, I think, I think it's going to be, um, I'm just taking a look at where it'll be. Seventh magnitude, I think in November, if that's where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. By November, you know, it becomes potentially a binocular target. Um, so yeah, it'll be exciting to watch this. And I think some of the time it's in the morning sky and some of the time it's in the evening sky. So you kind of got to look it up on the charts. We spent a long time uh, fiddling around with them because right now it's not circumpolar, but it's up in the Northern part of the sky. And, and then when we start to get into November, it comes down into kind of those lags of uh, Ursa Major and uh, I think it's visible at this. I think at the beginning of, of probably when we'll be able to see it, it's going to be a, uh, a an evening sky object. But then it, it quickly transitions to um, like a morning sky just because the sky kind of rotates around a bit. You might get it in the evening sky, but then just because of, of the nature of its position, it does the way it's tracking and the way the sky rotates. Sort of like a futzy one to kind of see where it is. But, uh, but again, yeah, we'll be updating that as we get into... Uh, November and, and October and kind of watching too, to see if, uh, to see if maybe it has an outburst, um, because it is up in Ursa major, uh, well-placed for a Northern hemispheric observers right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always try to like, you know, contain my excitement for a potentially bright comet because more often than not, I'm disappointed, you know, the comet breaks up as it, you know, gets too close to the sun and, and then it just doesn't reach the, uh, expected magnitude. Um, but it's hard not to be excited about a potential naked eye comet. So I'm, uh, I've been looking forward to this all year and I'll, I'll try to, uh, I'll, I'll try to observe it this month if I can, and, and, you know, get a few observations in along the way to December. Get your hopes up. Yep. Yep. There you, there you go. <laughs> As Homer Simpson would say. Yep. Yeah. 
Good stuff. Okay, well, that sounds uh, that sounds good. Lots of stuff to look at. Lots of planets. Maybe a bright comet on the horizon, and uh, yeah, lots of moon and and planet pairings. And uh, hopefully, like that first week or so, everybody will be out under dark skies, looking at uh, nebulous star clusters and uh, galaxies. Yeah. Anything yeah. else to add to this, Shane? No, that's everything. All right. With that, we will thank everybody for listening and uh, clear skies. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.